0: Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Hello, everybody, and once again, a warm welcome to online church. It's always a privilege for us to come together like this and to share the Word of God. In spite of everything that's going on, uh, we're still able to enjoy the wonderful benefits that the Word of God is able to minister into our lives and into our families. So I want to greet you warmly in that way. I hope that you're watching this together with a friend or, or or family or together with your connect group. It is important that we don't despise the gathering of the saints. Um, another uh, great uh, highlight is that tonight we'll be starting once again our evening service. Although we're limited to 50 people, there's a whole process of registration that we've sent out to our different platforms. So if you're going to join us, please make sure that you you're registered accordingly. And then the following week, we will probably resume services, but we'll keep you uh, well-informed concerning that. In the meantime, I think it's critical that you continue to just join connect groups, and uh, that's small that's groups of discipleship where we meet outside of the the, the church uh, service, and uh, in that place, you're able to ask your questions and really begin to de- deep into the details of the message and get discipled and get... Get led and and corrected and, and and encouraged. So I really want to to encourage each one of you to join a connect group in this time. And uh, yeah, we're continuing our series today on the end times. Uh, powerful, very relevant message. Uh, if you missed last week, please go back and get that background so that you're able to have the right frame of mind as we go into the message today. And so, I'm going to pray for us as we go into the subject, and uh, then we'll we'll get into the Word. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, that your Word does not return void. As your Word goes forth this morning, I pray, God, that you'll touch our hearts and renew our minds, Lord God, and bring us to a place of repentance so that we're able to live according to your Word, because your Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and leads us, Lord God, according to your purpose. I pray, Lord, that even though we're dealing with so much detail today, that you will clarify Holy Spirit and teach and give us revelation as to what you're saying to your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the subject of the end times is also known as eschatology, and it is the start, the study of the last things or the end times. And so um, many other research Much other research has been done on the subject and uh, it is uh, something that is slightly controversial because there are so many different schools of thoughts concerning what's going to happen at the end. And so today I'm going to touch a little bit concerning the the general history of the scriptures leading up to the time of Daniel in Babylon and uh, we'll highlight a little bit on uh, the relevance of Israel Uh, We'll touch on the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, as uh, prophetic as they are relating to the times and seasons that God has set in place. And um, we'll also touch on uh, Thessalonians, considering what happens or what was predicted to happen with the manifestation of what is uh, called as the man of sin. Now, going back to the beginning, we spoke last week about how God has a timeline and it is important for you to understand that the beginning, according to even Jesus' words, he said in the beginning was not so, uh, in the beginning God made them male and female. So he, he deems the beginning to have started with Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve have, have, son, have sons, which is Abel and Cain. And out of that, uh, the historical narrative moves on. And the next highlight is the story of Noah where um, the earth is, is, is just full. Now, before we get to Noah, we've got the fall of, uh, of man, which is the sin committed by Adam and Eve in the, in, the, in the garden when they ate of the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Big highlight, because out of that comes the prophecy that God spoke that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, portraying forward to the manifestation of Jesus. So then Noah comes on the scene, And Noah is a a man that is deemed to be righteous according to God. And God tells him to build an ark because he was going to basically destroy the creation that he had made previously and continue it with Noah and his sons. And the reason why God was doing that is because there was a contamination of the race. There was a contamination of the human race with all sorts of demonic entities and and, uh, angelic entities that had entered in. You can go back to Genesis and follow that through. The next big highlight is at the Tower of Babel where nations were trying to come together and uh, they were having a, a focus on, on building this tower and God spread them throughout the earth because that was part of his purpose to to, to, to fill the whole earth with nations. And then we follow on from there. To the to the, the the more important narrative of the beginning of God's covenant, uh, and that is God's agreement with Abraham, and Abraham was previously not a Jew or from Israel. He was a, a, um, he comes from a family of idol worshippers. And so God calls him, an idol worshiper calls him and says to him, I want you to leave your family and your house and go to a land that I'll show you. And that land was the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, Israel today. And so Abraham leaves. Abraham then has a covenant with God, out of which God promises that your seed will bless the nations. This is the relevance of Israel, natural Israel. Because with them are the covenants of promise. They are the ones that have the commonwealth. And the rest of the Gentiles were excluded from that because God wanted to work through a specific nation in order to bring the fulfillment of the Messiah. Now, Abraham has um, a son, a promised son called Isaac. Isaac has uh, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob then has the 12 tribes of Israel. And then out of, out of one of the sons of Jacob, Joseph, he moves to Egypt, that's where the whole nation of Israel or the family moves to Egypt out of the favor they experience there, and then following that, they have 400 years of slavery because of Pharaoh that follows the death of Joseph doesn't know any of them. And so they multiply in Egypt, and then Moses raises up the son of a a, a Levite, uh, who is Moses, uh, So God raises up Moses and Moses comes as a deliverer to bring the people out of Egypt. They move through the wilderness. They have a covenant with God, which is called the, the Old Covenant at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And then Moses ushers them in towards the promised land. Once again, the land of Canaan, which is Israel. And then at the threshold there, he hands over to Joshua. And after that... You've got this uh, uh, movement into the promised land, and in the promised land, you have uh, a series of leaders called judges. And these judges rule as leaders, but they are also like heroes who are, are valiant in battle, and they're able to defend Israel against all the oppression from the surrounding nations. Now, in the time of the wilderness, God institutes what they call the sacrificial system. And whenever they were busy with the sacrificial system, which connotes also the future of Christ dying on the cross in a whole system, whenever they neglected that, they were vulnerable to all these other nations. And God's purpose was not to just consider Israel as a special nation, but to use Israel through which he was going to minister Um, light and life to the rest of the nations. And so then after the judges, you've got these prophets rising up and the prophets are the ones who lead the nation through the word of the Lord, one of them being Samuel. And following the prophets, you have uh, the kings. Now that was a specific desire from Israel saying, we want to be like all the other nations. We don't want to be led by a prophet. Give us a king. Give us a king. And God warned them saying, tell them that this king is going to take advantage of their families and their children. And, and, and. and they said, no, we want a king. And so he gives them kings. And that's where the line of kings begin. And the first king was Saul. And after Saul comes King David. Now, in in the time of King David, that is uh, known as the golden the golden years or the golden age of Israel. Uh, a very prominent king, he's the one who, who who wrote the Psalms, and he's the one who, uh, so to speak, is the man after God's own heart. Very much the writings that he brings and the life that he lives very prophetic concerning the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And what you will see from the beginning, God's promise to Abraham was to bring Jesus Christ through the bloodline into the earth so that he could be the the Messiah, not only for Israel, but for all the nations. And we spoke last week about the centrality of Jesus and the importance of knowing that all of history is bound and is, is going on Around Jesus. Now, in the same timeline, we understand that many things are happening around the globe, whether it be among the Chinese or among the Aztecs in South America. But God is focusing here on Israel because he is bringing his word into manifestation through Jesus Christ. And so, David then has a son out of a situation, he has a son um, called Solomon. And Solomon then rebuilds builds this wonderful temple for God. And uh, once again, Israel is established in the land and all. And Solomon has two sons. Now, this is is where a twist happens. And I'm telling you this so that you understand that this is history. This is history of our times. It's not just Bible stories. And what happens is Solomon has two sons. And there is a, a break in the kingdom because of these two sons. And so the kingdom of Israel is split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom will be the tribe of Judah and uh, Benjamin, and then the rest of the tribes will be the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is known as Israel, and the southern kingdom is known as Judah. And the, the the capital city of Judah, the southern kingdom, is Jerusalem. And the capital city of, of the northern kingdom is Samaria. This is why there was this battle between the Samaritans and the Israelites. It's because of this, this division. And so, um, out of that, historically... Um, nations see the weakness of Israel, and they begin to attack. One of the nations that kept attacking, especially the northern kingdom, were the Assyrians. They were from Nineveh. This was the people that uh, Jonah didn't want to go preach to because they were enemies, and they would just be the most vicious people. But what happens in the southern kingdom is they get attacked by Nebuchadnezzar from the kingdom uh, of Babylon, the, the Babylonian Empire. And so they beseech the they beseech the, the 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 city and take exiles out into babylon and this was after after um, uh, Jeremiah prophesied to them over and over that you guys need to repent; there is coming an attack, and you will be you'll be dealt with harshly by an external nation now. This is what happens, and and when you begin to see the span of history like that, you will perceive the finger of God involved in the affairs of men and women. And the Bible doesn't deal with all of the different tribes and nations on the earth, dealing with Israel specifically and their history, because that's the history of mankind in relation to Jesus. All right, so then, out of these exiles that are taken from the southern kingdom— Among them is a a young man called Daniel, and Daniel is taken as a a wise man, a a smart, intelligent boy, and he was going to be taught the the practices and the philosophies of the Babylonians, and he was going to serve in the Babylonian um, empire and government as an official, and this is where we are going to go into the prophecies of Daniel because he then begins to have certain engagements with the angelic, with angels coming and visiting him, having certain visions, interpreting certain dreams that God gives to an ungodly king. Concerning what he will do in the future. And the prophecy of Jeremiah was that they were only going to be in exile for 70 years. And then after that, they were going to be brought back into Israel. And then Nehemiah comes and rebuilds the, rebuilds the temple and, 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 and then there's this quiet period after which comes the manifestation of Jesus. So we're picking it up here. And, uh, I'm reading from Daniel, uh, chapter, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 31. And um, we're just going to pick up here one of the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had. And what happened is Nebuchadnezzar is, is emperor of one, the largest at that time. Babylon is the largest, largest, largest empire on earth. And so God is dealing with this king as a mouthpiece to the nations, and this is where um, Daniel gets called in by Nebuchadnezzar because of a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. He asks whether all his diviners could interpret the dream, and uh, basically they they couldn't. But luckily, they had Daniel because otherwise. He was going to destroy them. And Daniel says, no, king, there is a God in heaven who, re- who reveals mysteries. I will go and pray and he will tell you the meaning of your dream. Now, I'm going to go through this. And then uh, the second portion of the scripture from verse 36 is the interpretation of the dream. Now, follow here. We're dealing with history, which is predicting what was going to come. It says in verse 31, you, O king, were watching, or you had a vision, and behold, a great image. Or a statue. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. Verse 32. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, and its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And verse 34 says, You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Verse 35, then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So this is the dream that the emperor has, that Nebuchadnezzar has. And Daniel tells him not only the interpretation, but also the dream. And so verse 36, we pick up the interpretation. He says, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Verse 37, you, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. All right. So he, his first interpretation is, This is a statue, it's made of different materials, and the head is made of gold. And he says, this kingdom of Babylon, as we are now, is this head of gold. And you, O king, are the head of gold. Verse 39. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks the pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay or ceramic clay. Verse 42. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Notice, in the days of this kingdom, the mixed kingdom, the God, the God of heaven excuse me, will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out, from the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is true, or is sure. All right, now I hope you followed me there. It's a mouthful. But this is what Daniel is saying. Now, if we look historically, the kingdom of Babylon is ruling on the earth. The Babylonian Empire is ruling on the earth, our earth, not some Bible earth, <laughs> our earth, during 605 and 539 B.C., before the birth of Christ. So 600 years about before the birth of Christ, this is when the exile has taken place. And this is where we find ourselves in terms of the historical Calendar. And if you follow the story, if you follow the narrative of Daniel, the kingdom that takes over and conquers the Babylonians is the Medo Persian kingdom, or the Medes and the Persians. And there are kings that are mentioned, King Darius and all of that. And, and the book of Daniel speaks specifically of them. And the Medo Persian kingdom, they are the ones who are the silver kingdom. After that, It says the the head is of gold, the chest and arms of silver, and the belly and thighs of bronze. This is the Greek kingdom. This is 331 BC up to 168 BC. The ruler of this kingdom that expands the kingdom is a man called Alexander the Great. I'm sure you've heard of him. And the Greeks basically rule the whole earth because of the Greek kingdom. And then after that, you've got the, the kingdom, which is the legs of iron, and that is the Roman Empire. That's the kingdom that subdues or, or conquers the Greek kingdom. It's the Roman Empire, and this is 168 B.C. to about 476 A.D. And uh, this is the empire where Jesus enters. This is the empire where Jesus enters history. If you consider all the, the stories of um, all the narratives of the crucifixion of Jesus and all, he is brought before Pilate. It's because Israel at that time is under Roman occupation. Now, why, why am I spending so much time on this history? Because many of us have read the scriptures. And we've, uh, we've divorced it from our reality in terms of our history as we have it today. But Jesus came straight into history to display his story and to bring redemption into our lives. And then after that, you've got the divided kingdom, which is clay and mixed with iron. And uh, there are different views about. What the meaning of this kingdom is, and uh, the, the fact that the stone comes at the culmination of this kingdom. Now, some say that this is the final kingdom that then is raised up by what they call the man of sin or the Antichrist, and then rules the earth under one world government, and then is subdued by the rock that is hewn without hands and strikes it. Others believe it's the fulfillment of the splitting of the Roman Empire and then how the Roman Empire falls because of Christianity and the kingdom of God that expands throughout the earth. And so you begin to see that this, uh, uh, when Jesus first came, he came to redeem the lives of, of men through the cross and then he ascends with the promises saying that he will. Come again. And next week we'll deal specifically with the prophecies of Jesus concerning the end times and his disciples are asking him, so when will these things come to pass? And so at least what we can conclude today from Daniel's prophecies is this. We are not at the beginning of time. We are not with Adam and Eve. We are not at the time of the flood, Noah. We are not in the time of Israel's inception with Abraham. We are not in the time of Israel in the wilderness. We are not at the time when Israel goes into the promised land as judges and prophets and kings. We are not at the time with the splitting of the kingdom north and south, and then the conquest coming in from Babylon. We are not in the time of Babylon. So that time, and you will see that this is God's timeline for the earth. There's nothing after the mixed clay and iron. So that means if someone says that we are coming to the end of the age, we can can look at this prophecy and begin to conclude that that is indeed the case. Whether this last part will be a 1,000 years or 2,000 years, that is to be disputed. But we know that we are not in the Babylonian Empire, we are not in the Middle Persian Empire, we are not in the Greek Empire, we are not in the Roman Empire, we are now in the stage of the, the divided kingdom going to the point where the domination of the kingdom of Jesus is being established therefore it would be it would be reasonable for us to say that we are in the last times we are in the final generations we are in the last kingdoms that are are vying for power on the earth and we are waiting for the kingdom of God to now become this mountain and it be established on the earth, and many of you have l- uh, listened or-, or learned while you were young about Daniel and the prophecies, and the only thing you know about Daniel is the lion, the lion cave, and the mouse were closed, and you know about them in the fiery furnace with the fourth man. Yeah, those things are great, but the one of the key key revelations are these prophecies that were coming through. Now, I must say, as you continue reading through the book of Daniel, he also speaks of another vision that he had about beasts and and different kind of um, animals that are representations of kingdoms and horns, which are representations of kings. And how he begins to speak then of how we're coming to the end of... Of of time and how uh, this kingdom will rise against that kingdom and how um, he speaks of the one little horn that boasts many things and that even curses God and and wants to establish himself as the one to be worshipped when the 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 abomination that brings desolation is brought into the temple and so all of those things are manifestations that will happen when evil is confronting at its height, when it's confronting not only the saints of God, but also God himself. All right, now we're going to move to Thessalonians and pick up here on some of the prophecies which come from the time of Daniel, specifically the ones relating to the man of lawlessness or the man of sin. And here we want to emphasize specifically some of the encouragements that come from the Apostle Paul in regard to this piece of history that we are moving. Towards. And many say, no, the Antichrist is already here. I saw him yesterday. No, he, he's that president. He's that president. No, it's that leader of that church. And No, it's my mother-in-law. No, it's this and that. And there are many speculations about who the Antichrist is or who the man of sin is or who the man of lawlessness is. But we want to get from the Word of God what the Word of God has to say and leave out what we don't get from the Word of God. So let's go here to 2 to Thessalonians Uh, chapter 2 from verse 2. So let's read here from verse 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth, or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. This is very important because there are some who believe that we have already passed the second coming of Christ, that in some way Jesus is spiritually ruling the earth now and he's already come. And the Apostle Paul says here that that is an error. In fact, um, the, it contradicts the scriptures materially on many levels. So we understand that the second coming has not yet materialized. Then we're looking here, verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. All right? So he, he says that the day of the Lord has not already come. It will only come when these two things happen. One, a great rebellion occurring and then the man of lawlessness being revealed. It says the man doomed to destruction. Verse 4, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Very key. If there's going to be the rising Of a man of lawlessness or a man of sin, he is going to do these things. He will replace God and the worship of God with himself, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, there are many people that are around the world claiming to be Jesus and they claim to be, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the second coming of Jesus and all. And Jesus said, don't listen to the, to them. There'll be be many false prophets and many, many claiming to be, um, uh, Jesus. Don't, don't follow them. But here, what this man will do is specifically position himself in the temple of God as the one to be worshipped by the whole world, as the object of a one world, one world religion. Okay, then we go on to verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was with you, the apostle Paul, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper or at the set time. Verse 7, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. Now, let me just say a few things about this portion of scripture here. Because it says that the manifestation or the revelation of the man of sin or the Antichrist is being restrained by somebody. And uh, the view from many scholars is that that somebody is the Holy Spirit resident in the church. And so therefore, that's where some uh, ideas come from that before the Antichrist is manifested and really allowed to, be, to freely reign and rule over the world in the, in the sense of, of, of his tyranny, before that happens, the one who is blocking that, which is deemed to be the Holy Spirit in the church, is to be taken away. And that is what some view as the rapture needs to take place. They need to be removed because right now our prayers and all of that is resisting quite a lot of that. And it's not critical that we believe in, in that rapture or not. We just need to be prepared to stand no matter what happens uh, against any persecution and to prevail through that. Because there are many people that say, no, uh, it, we, we will not be in the tribulation or we will be in the tribulation. There are Christians today in persecuted regions of the world that would read the scripture and say, we are in the tribulation. And we have to stand despite the uh, uh, threats of death against our families, against our property, against our own lives. And many are being killed for their faith. And so it is very important for us to have that disposition in our hearts that no matter whether whether it's rapture or not, I will stand for Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming, of the, Lord, the, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Now consider here some details. He will use all sorts of displays of power and through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. And so he says that there will be some miraculous displays of power and Revelation speaks about how um, there, there will be such an injury on the head of this person and they'll, they'll apparently come back from the dead and there will be all these miraculous signs, signs which are empowered by the false prophet. And so it is important that we are not drawn away by, by many miraculous signs because in the time when the Antichrist will be busy, doing his recruitment and and work, many of the deceptions will be because people are following all sorts of powerful demonstrations, but they are anti-Christ and anti-God. All right? And then in verse 10, it says, And all the ways that wickedness deceives those... um, And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Very key. Then, verse 11 for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And Romans also speaks about this. He says that if you are intent on rejecting God, if you are intent on going your own way, God lets you. He lets you over to a reprobate mind. And it says in Romans how he gives them over to a reprobate mind. They exchange the the creator for the creature. They worship the creature instead of the creator. They don't worship God. They don't thank God. They don't glorify God. And then because of their depraved mind, they start giving themselves over and their bodies to be defiled through all sorts of practices where men are inflamed with lust for men and women are inflamed and the perversion takes place and their bodies are desecrated. And so it's important that we understand that God's grace has appeared unto all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and fleeing to Christ for salvation. But if you do not receive what Christ has provided for you, then you will basically... Have your way. It's either let God's will be done or let your will be done. And if it's your will to be done, it culminates in judgment and the second death in the lake of fire. Let's keep reading here. And so he says in verse 13, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And then in verse 16, May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace and gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And so it's very important that we see this is the warning that he gives. He says, don't be discouraged thinking that the 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 Lord has already returned, the second coming has already happened, and now we're in a place where we don't know has it happened or not. No, it will not happen until the revelation of the man of sin. And this will be his process. He will do this, he will do this, he will do that. And what should our, what should be our, our approach or our attitude, we should be focused on the truth. We should be lovers of the truth. We should be focused on receiving what Christ has provided through us, through, through Jesus to us. And we should take advantage of the gospel. That should be our dis- Disposition. We should stand firm, not going after all sorts of theories and is it that guy or is it this guy, is it that guy or is it that guy. No, we will know clearly if the man of sin is revealed, we will know clearly what the agenda is and it will be the worship of that individual at the expense of the worship of God. Now I want to touch a little bit on the book of Revelation. And many people have this understanding that Ooh, the book is scary and it's, uh, nobody can understand it. It's really important for you to read the scriptures first. The first way is just acquaint yourself with the content. And after that, the more you read it, the more you connect it to what's happening in Daniel, the more you see what's happening in the book of Thessalonians and in Matthew, all of those things begin to paint a clearer picture. The book of Revelation is actually called the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is not the revelation of the Antichrist or the beast or the mark of the beast or the cure of whatever. It is the revelation of Jesus. It is an unveiling of Jesus after his ascension and in a way that really shows his glory, his splendor, his power over all kingdoms. And I said last week that Jesus is a government leader. He's not a religious leader. It says the government shall be upon his shoulders and to the end of his kingdom there will be no end. And so when you're choosing him, it's not a vote. This is not democracy. It's either you are for him or against him. He's coming again. And so as we go through the book of Revelations, chapter 1 to 3 deals with the vision of Jesus that uh, John the Revelator, John is one of the apostles of Jesus, and he basically sees Jesus, and then he received this revelation of the seven letters to the seven churches. And all of them have encouragements relating to our day. Then we've got chapter 4 to 7, dealing with the throne of God and the scroll with the seven seals. And the seals could not be opened because no one was worthy to open the seals. And then... Jesus is found to be the worthy one, and this correlates with what's happening on the cross. And as his body is wrecked on the cross, he is opening up things in the realm of the spirit and unlocking seals, which are sort of like scrolls. When when they wrote on paper, it was sealed. It was closed up. And then you, you have these uh, wax seals that were placed on the scroll. And, and so it says, who was worthy to open the scroll and to unlock the seals? Why? Because when the seals are unlocked, then the things which are written in the scroll will now begin to come to pass. And Jesus is the one who is worthy and he unlocks the, the, he unlocks the, the, the seals and now the scrolls are revealed as to what is coming. Then you have the seven trumpets which begin to blow upon the earth and events begin to unfold on the earth, which also speaks more about the reign of Christ dominating over the affairs of men. Then Revelations 12 to 16. And in your own time, go and read these things. It speaks of the dragon. And it speaks of how he's trying to come in and destroy. And, and there are different images that are going on there, which are very telling of how the enemy is trying to bring destruction from the time when he was trying to destroy Jesus in the time when they fled to Egypt uh, through Herod's edict all the way to now and what the enemy is trying to do to the saints. And then the seven bowls which are being poured, poured upon the earth. And it is interesting that, you know, as you read this, you begin to pick up certain events that have happened on the earth. And sometimes I thought to myself as I was studying this, you know, we're saying there's global warming and that the global warming is actually leading to the the way that the earth is actually seems to be groaning and and responding. But it could be that these are the manifestations of these things that Revelation was writing about that was coming on the earth at the culmination of our time. Then we've got Revelation 17 to 19, which speaks of mystery Babylon, that harlot, the prostitute that prostitutes herself with the kings of the earth. And many view that to be uh, a view of a false religion that seems to want to bring in political influences and rule under a false, false spirituality. And then um, it speaks also of the rider on the white horse that then comes as, as, as the Savior. And then we've got Revelation 20, where it speaks of, of the reign of Jesus and uh, the judgments that are, are brought on the earth and then the lake of fire. And then chapter 21 and 22 relate to the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem and the promise that is left that I'm coming quickly and the promise that says, "Don't remove anything from the words of this prophecy." And blessed is the one who reads this prophecy. Now, many of you might have thought, yeah, "I wanted to hear who the name, the name of the Antichrist. I wanted to hear his number is triple six and all of that." Let's go read a little bit through Revelation about that portion, and then we'll come to a bit of a conclusion here. So we're going here from Revelation chapter 13. It says here, Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Blasphemy is insults against God. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the Feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. This is the man of lawlessness. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now remember, beasts represent kingdoms. They represent kings. uh, Horns represent kingdoms. And kings, authorities, clowns, and all of that. So as you're reading, this is referring to someone with that power. Who is able to make war with him? Verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so you see the power and the influence that he has and the agenda. If anyone has an ear, verse 9, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Then verse 11, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns Uh, uh, like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performed great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth, in the sight of men." He would cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except one has the mark of the na- or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Then in verse 18 it says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is 666. All right, so we see a couple of things here relating very much to what we read in Thessalonians about the man of sin. And we see here one of the key critical elements that that we're pointing towards now as history is moving is this, this thing where he is going to restrict buying and selling. He's going to require the placing of the mark on the right hand, or on the forehead. And with that, you won't be able to buy or sell without taking that. Now, many have speculated about this, but where we are going with technology, it is almost strange and weird that this cashless society is being pushed to the point where you will be able to buy and sell with something implanted in your phone and then down the line something implanted in your hand or in your forehead. And in Europe, apparently, it's already being rolled out. Now, does that mean we should not be able to (laughs) get a chip in or something like that? These are the warnings of the Spirit, and these are the questions that the Holy Spirit needs to guide us in. And without that, when you see that there are restrictions and that there's a requirement for worship and, and a devotion to the beast and the mark of the beast and the man of sin, then you should know that surely the time has come to its culmination. And I remember growing up uh, watching this movie, uh, which many of you might have seen. It was called Left Behind. And basically, it was a story of uh, a family, and there were a few members that were believers. And then uh, what happened was the rapture took place, and all the Christians were taken from the earth, you know, Christian pilots, and uh, Christian taxi drivers, and kids, uh, Christian, you know, and so planes were crashing, and the whole earth was in havoc because the Christians were taken from the earth, you know. And so there is this view that, oh, everything is moving towards destruction. Everything is moving to the height of a terrible tribulation, so to speak. And it is true that Jesus promised that in the world you'll have tribulation, but he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. So how should we live then? Should we live with an expectation that, oh man, this is going to get bad, uh, things are are just going to be destroyed? Should we live with that hope that, oh, before everything gets bad, we are going to be raptured out so I will never have to face the sword of persecution? I think both of those extremes are incorrect because in other parts of the world, people are facing persecution today for their faith. So you should be ready to face persecution today. And I'm not talking about your unsafe friends uh, talking about you on social media. That's not persecution. <laughs> That's gossip. We're talking about real persecution where you could lose your job, lose your business, lose your life, lose your family, get in prison, those kind of things, for the fact that you believe in Jesus and the demand upon you will be renounce Jesus or die. And the question is, are you ready? Have you made Jesus Lord of your life to that point? And you say, yes, yes, when the sword comes, I'll be able to do it. Well, if you're able to do that, then I, why have you not been able to live a holy life, which is less than dying? Why have you not been able to be committed in the things of God? Ask yourself whether your faith is genuine. The word of God says, examine yourself and see whether you be in the faith. Don't presume it. Don't assume it. Look at your life. Consider your life. Consider whether you have have made Jesus your only Lord or whether it's Jesus and some other thing in your life. Consider whether your lifestyle shows that you have sold the world in order to purchase the kingdom of God. And there are many other questions relating to, okay, we see what's happening with Israel today, the fact that the, uh, the, the capital city has been recognized by world leaders as Jerusalem and the, the expectation that Jesus is going to come on the Mount of Olives. We'll deal with a few of those next week in the prophecies that Jesus had. And the importance that the nations are going to culminate on the, on the valley of Armageddon in Israel present day to wage a war which will then be interrupted by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also many prophecies that relate to the fact that after Jesus returns, you will have a millennial reign on the earth for a thousand years. And it is difficult and uh, not simple to understand how that will really work. We know whether there will be a separation of nations and who will be ruling at that time relating to the parables of the cities that are granted under rulership. The question is not whether... Um, Jesus will do that now or then. The question is whether your name is registered in the Lamb's book of life. The question is more about what have you done with the first coming of Jesus rather than the second coming of Jesus. If you've done right by the first coming of Jesus, when he died on the cross for the sins of men and women, when he said it is finished, when he paid with his life's blood for the redemption of the sins of mankind, if you are able to receive him, then you have received eternal life. And it says have passed from, you have passed from death into life. You have passed from judgment. And you have no fear anymore. It is so important as we talk about this, as we discuss this, that you not think, okay, I need to analyze and see who is going to be the Antichrist. Oh, are we going to be raptured or not? Oh, are we going to be in this place or not? Those things may come. But the question is, what if you die tonight? What if you lose your life tonight? Then you have already entered into your reckoning. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? What have you done with the first coming? We should not be ignorant concerning the fact of the second coming because it gives us great hope, great joy, great excitement. But there are many who are not yet believers. And I want to speak right now to those of us who say, no, I'm safe. I've paid my fire insurance, and so hell is, is, is not my home. Heaven is my delight. And you have many friends and family whom you have never told this to. You have never spoken to them about the fact that they can be rescued in Christ, that in Christ there is eternal life. And the way that we live over the next few years, over the next decades, should be As if we have been made right with God, ready for him to appear this very night. Not waiting till we see, oh, there's a splitting in the clouds. Oh, I see. I see there the trumpet sounding and now try and have a a last conversion. It will be too late. And this is not an invitation to religion. This is an invitation to life. Why would you want to delay eternal life in your heart? The joy of the Lord the righteousness of God, the peace of the kingdom of God, everything that Jesus has paid for to make this available. We're going to have communion right now. And I want to encourage you, if you're at home, just get your elements together and and get your family together. And the question that I want to ask you is, is Jesus truly Lord of your life? Have you made him master? Does he rule your life? Not just give you an opinion here and there when you've got a question as to what to post on your social media profile. But does he rule your life? Is he your Lord? Does he own your life? Ask yourself that. And if that is not the case, what are you living for? If you're not living for Christ, you're living for nothing. You're living for an idol. You're not living in light of eternity. We have to be prepared But we can be optimistic. We don't have to be fatalistic thinking, oh, things are just going to get bad. We know that despite everything that may come, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. No matter what may come, Jesus has overcome the world. And we can stand in righteousness, fulfilling our purpose, which is going out and making disciples, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with everybody. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body. Whenever you do this, you break it, you are proclaiming death, the Lord's death. You are saying, He died for me. He died for me so that I could live. And so, this is the body of Jesus that was broken for us. Those of you who need a healing, this is the body that was crushed, that was whipped for your healing. As we partake right now, Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. As we partake it, let the power of the Holy Spirit make it real to us and let us allow the Lordship of Christ to take dominion over our bodies, our souls, our spirits, and over our families and our homes. In Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread. And then it says that he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. shed for the forgiveness of sins. Are you having a guilty conscience? Are you carrying things that you've done in the past? Are you addicted to all sorts of sins that you can't get free from? This is the cup of the new covenant that says that I will be their God and they will be my people their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. This is the cup that washes away all our sins, that gives us a clear conscience before God and that liberates us from a life of sin into a life of righteousness. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We declare it over our lives and over our families and we partake it today. We don't cheapen it, we appreciate it today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for your people this this day. I thank you, Lord, that your word to them is a word of hope. As somebody you're thinking of committing suicide, the Lord is speaking to you. You're a lady. The Lord is speaking to you today and saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Put your faith in me, says the Lord Jesus. I know what happened to you, and I am here for you, and I am here to restore you. Look forward. There is hope for tomorrow. And Father, I just pray right now for this woman. I ask, Lord God, that you'll preserve her and that you'll encounter her there where she is. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for the rest of us. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit right now, your anointing is just upon your people today. Father, I thank you that you're setting people free from fear of the future. You are giving them a sense of purpose, a sense that I'm not just doing my job and going home, but I'm living for the kingdom of God. Father, that many of us will be stirred up today, Father God, to preach the gospel without fear, without shame, Lord God, because we are bringing good news of hope, Lord God. And Father, as we continue through this series, That your truth and your life will shine in every dark area. And that many will come to know you, Lord Jesus. And prepare their hearts because of what you've spoken. We thank you and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, hallelujah. May God bless you. Continue to follow us on all our social media platforms. Subscribe and like and send forth these videos. Forward them to friends and family that don't don't know Jesus. You never know. We've heard so many testimonies of people even overseas who are receiving Christ because of these messages. May God bless you. Have a wonderful time. And we'll see you probably next week. And if you're not joining us, we'll see if we can continue to share the Word of God online and uh, that you will continue to be encouraged. May God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.